Good afternoon and welcome to the Christian Victory Service of John Anklum. Um, my name is Pastor Dan Leighton and I'll be leading the service today. Um, and on behalf of myself and the whole staff here, Spring, Bellamy, the entire family, we send out our love to you. Uh, today with you, as you know, is Pastor Don Patterson. He'll be giving the message for the sermon for the victory service today. A longtime friend of the family and of John. Um, Chad White is another minister that is very close uh, to the, the Anklum family and a very good friend of John. He, he was really supposed to be leading the service today, so I'm filling some big shoes. And, uh, and he sends along his greetings, but he's, he's under the weather today. Um, I'm going to be sharing with you a couple of words that he wrote, though, uh, as an introduction to one of the readings that, that he wanted to send along to the family as well. Um, John, a friend, husband, father, hard worker. We put all these titles on him, and you know him as much more than, uh, as his family than, than some people, but he, he's first and foremost a child of God. And you're going to hear that in the message today. And the same thing that John got from his Savior, forgiveness of sins through his baptism when he was just a baby and he enjoyed an entire life under the grace of God is the same thing that he would want for you too, his family and his friends, to live with him forever in heaven with his Savior as well. So enjoy that gift today. It's a time that we are sad, but it's a time that we also are rejoicing that he has final victory and we have final victory too. And this world isn't everything but that God has made for us, but he's given us eternity and he's given John that today too. We'll hear that today in the message, in the word of God, and in the songs, and in the prayers. And we'll begin today uh, with a prayer. I'll say a prayer, and then I'll read the biography of John. Father in heaven, we gather today as we grieve the loss of our dear friend and loved one, John Anklum. Draw near to us and wrap your arms around us who mourn for John. In faith, we ask for your comfort and your guidance in this time of need. Dry our tears, calm our troubled hearts, and dispel our doubts and fears. Lead us to praise you for having brought John to faith, and help us to find joy in the many ways that John blessed our lives while he lived with us. Strengthen us with your word, and help us to rest our hopes on your unfailing promises. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can follow along the uh, order of worship today uh, in the service folder and in your hymnals for the songs. Uh, you'll find the biography of John right here, and you have to forgive me for the family names if I get them wrong. I'm trying my best, Spring. You can correct me from there if you want to. The life of John Anklum. John Anklum, 65, was called home to be with his Lord and Savior on Friday, December 22, 2017. John was born August 31, 1952 in Clintonville, Wisconsin, to Irvin and Solvig Anklum. He was baptized on November 9, 1952, and confirmed on May 22, 1966, at St. Peter's Lutheran Church in Big Falls, Wisconsin. His confirmation verse was John 10:11, "I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep." John spent his entire career in Pierce Fire Truck Sales and Service retiring in 2011. It was his joy to come out of retirement to fulfill the role of stay-at-home dad with the birth of his daughter, Bellamy, on November 1, 2012. This was his true calling and that for which he would most want to be remembered. He told me that many times. John and Spring were married on January 23, 1999 at Mount Olive Lutheran Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. 
They spent their first two years of marriage in Wisconsin and California before making their home in Austin, Texas. John was a devoted husband and father who appreciated the simple things in life. A good glass of wine, live music, steaks on the grill, a fine bourbon, and the Green Bay Packers. He was a creative and avid chef who rarely used a recipe. He enjoyed skiing, tennis, camping, fishing, and hunting while he was able. John was a self-taught musician who was able to play guitar by ear and was working to pass this talent on to his daughter. She shares his love of great music, and especially the Beatles. John was in several bands starting at the age of 15, with his mom escorting him into the bars in Wisconsin so he could play. Man, I didn't get through here before we read it in church. (laughs) John loved Jesus, his dogs, good friends, and his family. John will be sadly missed by his loving wife of 18 years, Spring. His five-year-old daughter, Bellamy. Sisters Karen, Lyra, and Nancy Helms. Sister-in-law, Kay Anklum. Parents-in-law, Karen and Keith Montai. Sister-in-law, Brooke Montano, and brother-in-law, Troy Schmidt. He is further survived by his godchildren, Jesse Anklum, Lisa Fisher, Dallas Montano, Cody Montano, Bailey Montano, and Aubrey Montano, and his two pups, Macy and Ginger, as well as many other nieces, nephews, cousins, relatives, and friends. John was an active member of Holy Word Lutheran Church, where he served as an usher and a church leader on various committees. John will be dearly missed by all who knew him. We take comfort in the assurance that John is with Jesus in heaven by grace alone through faith in his Savior. In lieu of flowers, a memorial fund has been established for Bellamy's College Fund. And here's a passage by the Apostle Paul that is chosen at the end of his biography. To the young Timothy, he writes, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Second Timothy 4. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And our opening hymn is hymn 120, What Wondrous Love Is This? Thank you. 
We have several Bible readings uh, that John chose uh, here for us for comfort, and they're beautiful. The first one's from Psalm 13. Uh, I want to share with you, instead of my introduction, the introduction that uh, his friend Chad White wrote for him and, and for you to take comfort in. It says this, The book of Psalms often contains some of the favorite verses of the Bible for believers. I think it's because they are so real. In them we hear the depths of human suffering and the heights of human joy. We can relate to them because we feel such a connection with the different emotions expressed by the writers. In Psalm 13, David, the writer of the psalm, expresses the agony of enduring and lingering health problems while trusting in a Savior God. Psalm 13 was a favorite of John's. In many personal conversations with John, I know he could relate to the agony that David expresses, and he also, through it all, trusted in his Savior God to help him persevere. Here's Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. This is God's word. Our next hymn is hymn 397, Just As I Am.
The second Bible reading today comes from Revelation chapter 20. John, the apostle, at the end of his life, was all by himself. He wasn't surrounded by family and friends and loved ones, but he was um, exiled to an island because of his faith. And God came to him to comfort him with a vision of the world that isn't as it is today, the world where we see death and sadness and sin and brokenness. But God comes to him and gives him a vision about what is in store for him and what's in store for you and me as well. A vision about the beauties and truths of heaven. And in it, it's interesting, at the end of this reading, God says that there's no more crying. In fact, he says that even the idea of crying and sadness, in the Greek it's this picture of, of, of a Kleenex going deep into the, 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 uh, the eye and wiping out the duct so that there's not even any any remembrance of sadness. That's the world that John lives in right now in heaven. And that's the world that awaits us too as we look forward to Jesus coming to take us to be with him as well. Revelation 20 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of thing has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is God's word. Our hymn uh, next is 108, Jesus, Refuge of the Weary. We'll sing all the verses except for verse 3. That will be sung by the soloist.
Jesus, may our hearts be burning with more fervent love for you. May our eyes be ever turning to behold your cross anew. Friends and family, Spring and Bellamy, God's hope and grace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll cling to that as we have a devotion, a meditation on this victory celebration of John's. It's hard to be here. Um, Your words to me, Spring, are echoing in my ear. I don't want to be a part of this club. (laughs) I I don't know anybody in this room that wants you to be or... We don't want to be a part of this club either, but God gets to write the script. And it's hard to be here at this this moment, but it's good to be here in this place where God's word and his hope and his love is, and God loves you, and he's going to speak to your heart and speak from your heart today, and everybody will understand what I mean in a second. God writes the story That's probably the hardest part since Adam and Eve fell into sin and wanted to write it themselves. And he doesn't tell us how the story goes most of the time. And so we all live in a a little bit of a daze because we don't know how our lives are going to go and then what will be the moment that they will end. And when we have health problems, as John did, as we all do, as I do, we live on the edge of not knowing. And that in a way, makes us vulnerable to good news from Christ, to cling to God, to stay close and near, was what John did. In Psalm 139, it says, God has ordained all of our days before any of them came to be. That's both frightening and it's also comforting. God knew December 22nd was celebration day in heaven as his soul marched down the aisle and the angels saying another sinner forgiven has come home and his parents jumped out of the crowd and other family and friends and said we love you and we're glad you're here and you made it through the grace of our lord jesus christ the end of life is bad on earth the beginning of life in heaven is ten thousand times better and it all happens in the same moment which is Hard for us to fully fathom, which makes it beautiful and mysterious and powerful all at the same time. And we want to keep our mind on that. How did that all happen? When God said to Adam and Eve, for dust you are and to dust you will return, in the very same sobering moment, he gave great hope. He said, I, to the devil, will ruin what you've ruined. I will put enmity between you and the woman and he will crush your head and you'll strike his heel. And God was talking about baby Jesus his own son from eternity. Maybe Jesus was the one saying the words, we don't know, in the garden to Adam and Eve. And Christmas is about 
not our celebrations, but about God's. And so we may look at Christmas time, spring, saying, oh, what a, and every year I'm going to think this is when John died. No, every year, you've already said it, you're going to think this is when John saw Jesus. And so there'll be a, a joy and a comfort. Jesus said, I'll crush your head, Satan. And when he died and rose again, he did. You might look at 65 years and say, if you're past that, you'll say, whoa, what a short life. If you're in your 20s, you'll say, well, at least he got 65 years. None, neither of those things are really valuable or true, are they? You know, Jesus only gave himself half of what he gave John on earth because he came on a mission, and his mission was to give us hope and peace that this dark time would be brightened by the gospel, the good news that we're saved forever. Now, usually in a sermon at a funeral, this is the main point that, that we say amen at the end of. But there's something special that's happening today at this funeral, this victory celebration. And here's what it is. Spring and John are people of Christian faith. And Spring looked through John's Bible. And she saw the scriptures that he had underlined. Without words, I mean, he didn't like say it in the side, I want this at my funeral. But the words that he underlined are the scriptures that we're having in the service today. And the one that I'm about to give you a devotion on is from Ephesians. It's Paul, the apostle, wrote a letter, the Christian apostle, to a a church he'd started. And John had underlined a few verses out of chapter 3. They're here printed for you. And the first two verses of chapter 4, which really come close to these verses in chapter 3. And when Spring and I met, she said, I want a a sermon, a devotion on these words because I think John would want that. And so here's the title. John has a prayer for us. He's safe in heaven. He doesn't want us worried about him. He has a prayer for us. And the prayer is what Paul said his prayer was. And when God had Paul write this, God was sharing his heart. So John is saying to us what God's heart is for us, and now that John's perfect in heaven, John is saying to us, along with God, and his prayer is twofold the verses from chapter 3 and the verses from chapter 4. And they go like this. I'm going to read chapter 3 first, the first paragraph you see there. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power inside of you, together with all of the Lord's holy people power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God these words are poetic they're wonderful and they almost seem transcendent to our normal mundane everyday brain related thinking But they're spiritually real, and they were real for John, and they're more real for him now, and they are real for us. And this is the thought. Our lives, the prayer is that our lives would be filled with the love of God. It's the main thing. If our lives are not filled with God's love for us, then they're going to be filled with toil and trouble and complaint 
and discontent and selfishness and rules and failure to keep our own rules and judgment of others and rejection and loneliness and separation. Blech, right? And every Christian, if we are Christians, knows that the love of God is that beautiful alternative, which is what? Hope versus complaint and discontent, which is forgiveness, complete forgiveness for us, instead of always trying to be punitive and make up for our sins, which is love in action that God gives us instead of worrying about keeping the rules perfectly, which is pardoning other people of their sins against us instead of keeping them in a prison of anger and frustration. These are the things that John knew. He wasn't perfect at it, but neither are we, right? But he is now. That's why Paul says, I urge you, we're not perfect at this, but we know what it is. We've been inoculated with it against sin and death and selfishness, and we know that Christian love. And this is the cool picture here. He says, I want you to know how wide it is, how long it is, how high it is, how deep it is. It's like the picture of air, oxygen. It fills our atmosphere, the love of God. And every Christian, God wants to be walking in this kind of love so that they can look every other person in the eye and not be critical or judgmental or feeling guilt or shame because they've been freed by the love of God. And we can touch it and we can grow in it and we're not perfect at it. And John says, I got it in heaven. I want you to have it here. The love of God. And you know how you get it? You get it by focusing on Jesus Christ. His words in red, his life, his last week, especially Easter, and the way he told us that he loves us so deeply. And every single soul in here, like John, needs to come back to it every day. And that's John's prayer that we would do that. Secondly, he, he, he underlined, John underlined, Ephesians 4, 1 and 2. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord, he was in jail when he wrote this letter, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy, you could circle that word worthy, of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. When I said circle worthy, I didn't mean you need to worry that you need to be worthy of God's grace. That isn't what he's saying at all. Grace is a gift. God forgives us in Christ. But the worthiness is, the, the concept is to have a life that's in balance with the love that you receive. In other words, if you're a person who believes in the love of God for you, then your one mission is to live love in your relationships with others. Family, church family, work, stranger, person behind the counter, person driving in front of us, go on and on, right? Even enemies, to live a life of love. That's a calling worthy. 
It, it matches, it matches the good news. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, this is the pivotal word in the entire letter. The first half is all about the love of God and the grace of God. The second half is all about the life that we live because of it. And this word worthy is the hinge of the entire letter. And John underlined it. And it's a prayer of his for us that we live a life of love. Spring, you have so much you want for Bellamy. I know, and I know that's part of the agony because it's like, John was the big thing I wanted for her. And John's in heaven now. But Jesus and the Father are still here. And their watchful eye will watch her life. Their loving arms will hold her and their their word will guide her. Some of the things you want for her, you're going to accomplish. God's going to bless you to do that. Education, whatever it is, you're going to accomplish these things. But all of them, nobody, none of us do, right? Our lives are all unfinished when they're done. And I'm saying what I'm about to say to comfort you. Your husband, in underlining those words from God, has given you a very simple, clear mission. Fill your life with God's love and Bellamy's with God's love and then just live a life of love for everybody around you with gentleness, patience, humility, kindness that comes from Christ, forgiveness. And the rest is just details. It's just details. So work at it, those other things, but don't fret over them. Your husband, he has led you. And you've led us by saying, I want that to be preached on the day of his celebration. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's what he said to John. You're coming to paradise. Until then, let's live in the next best thing, which is love. Unconditional, forgiving love. Amen. And we'll listen now to, or we'll sing, right? I helped plan this on eagle's wings. We'll sing on eagle's wings. Again, another of John's favorites.
At this time, I'll say a prayer. After the prayer, uh, you can pray along silently as the soloist sings the Lord's Prayer. Dear Lord, you are the Father of all mercies who care for your people with an everlasting love. You are the God of all comfort who consoles all those who are suffering the death of a loved one. You are the God of all peace who has promised to pour your perfect peace into the hearts of your children who are going through the pain and suffering that the loss of a precious loved one brings. Thank you, Jesus, for John's life and for the blessings that he brought to us in the time that we shared together. Thank you, Jesus, that the power of death and hell has been broken forever for John and for all people, and the curse of the grave has been destroyed through your death and resurrection. We pray that you will be a special comfort to uplift and care for those that feel the greatest loss for Spring and for Bellamy, for John's family. Help them and all of us to find strength in knowing that John has finished his journey of faith and is now at rest in your loving embrace. May we be comforted in knowing that although we are separated for a time, we will all rejoice one day when we stand together in your glorious presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. The final scripture reading and hymn on the back page of your service folder comes from Job chapter 19, a man who lost all of his earthly possessions, nearly all of his family, save his wife, and uh, he stared death in the face in the pain that he had in his body. And as he did that, his God came to him and he saw with his eyes his Redeemer, his Savior, his God. And that's what we see today amid our loss too. We see our Redeemer and he lives. This is the message of the Christian faith and of Jesus who is raised from the dead and lives for us today and gives us victory. So we leave today sad, but not with a sadness that lasts. We live, we live with our Savior today, and this is the same Savior that Job looked forward to. He says, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Amen. Our final song is one of John's favorites. It's I Know My Redeemer Lives. It's based on the words we just heard, hymn 152. The only complaint John had about this hymn is that in church we rarely sang all the verses. So guess what we're going to do? I know my Redeemer lives.
Thank you again on behalf of the family for being here today uh, in support and comfort for them. Uh, Spring, Bellamy, the family will meet you in the fellowship hall for the lunch afterwards. Uh, The pastors will greet the family and then you may dismiss yourself and greet the family in the fellowship hall. Thank you for being here again.